Let's go back to a Go Loud original. Let me have your attention for a moment. Put that coffee down. Let's talk about something important. Because we're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. As you all know, first prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. You want to see second prize? Second prize is a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Ed Harris, Alan Arkin, from the Pulitzer Prize winner, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. This is how we keep score, the beat. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Back to Glengarry Glen Ross. My name is Owen Sheehan and every week myself and Sue Murphy go back and watch a film or television show that has a particular meaning for that week's special guest. This week we are delighted to be joined by actor, director and king of weekend mornings on television, Simon Delaney. <laughs> You're very welcome, Simon. Oh, I've been called a lot of things in my life but never a king. Good. <laughs> How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very well. Uh, we're doing especially well because uh, we're going back to 1992 uh, today. We're going back to a time when Al Pacino was angry, Alec Baldwin was angry, Ed Harris was angry, (laughs) everybody was angry. It can only be Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, Thank you for bringing this to the table. It is fantastic. Why did he bring this? Um, You know, we often have that chat between friends and work colleagues about favourite movies and top fives and top threes. And uh, this movie for me is always in a top five or a top three. In fact, it is number one. And and for many reasons, um, the movie kind of came from nowhere in terms of it didn't have a huge cinematic release. I mean, I remember back in 92, I've never seen the movie on a big screen. I think I... I rented it, I think, on VHS for Extravision back in the day. Um, it, it it had a tricky life in terms of it started off as a play uh, and then the movie idea was mooted and then various actors were asked to do it and some pulled out and some turned it down. But it eventually got financed by about... 15 different people financed it, a German television company, an Austrian company, banks. It was all over the place. Cable stations. There was loads of money invested in it. Not a huge budget of a movie, primarily because there were only two locations in the movie, a Chinese restaurant and an office. Um, And for people who don't know the movie, it's set in the offices of Premier Properties. Uh, which is a, a real estate salesman's office. And it it basically, the film follows four salesmen over the course of a couple of days. And we watch them as they have the greatest pissing contest ever been filmed. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the throat cutting, the, uh, you know, just the vitriol, the masculinity, the language, the dodgy deals, the lying the cursing, the energy, the hatred, it's all in there. And it's played by, it's well quoted as the greatest ensemble ever put together for an American movie. Um, I can't talk, you know, more about it. I, I adore the piece and I adore it because it was a play. And if I can keep talking without taking a breath. Um, I remember back in 92, I was a salesman at the time. So no way. I, yeah, so I kind of knew that world. I sat in an office and did that cold calling bullshit that you had to do with the day. And I was selling the most fucking bizarre crap that was so totally unsellable. And you literally got a phone book and you went name by name. It's soulless shite work. Um, so I knew that kind of environment in terms of the leads, because Glengarry Glen Ross is all about the leads. And the leads are 
that inf- that information that somebody has written into a magazine or subscribed to a magazine and asked for details on potentially buying property. So this ends up as a lead. You have their name and their phone number and what they're interested in. And in that business, that's gold. That is just gold because you're not ringing someone who doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. It's an actual person who's asked for information. So in other words, as they say in Glengarry, they're on the car lot and they're not on the car lot they don't want to buy. So these leads are precious. And I remember the, that environment in my office and, and, and the environment when somebody made a sale. You were like the goose that laid the golden egg and then it was three minutes of celebration and everybody went back to the trough and tried to get another sale going. So I was aware of the world. Um, and at the time I, I joined a local drama group and we were doing plays and pantos and musicals and everything. And then I started doing stuff with other drama groups and then, must have been ninety four maybe uh, a drama group was doing Glengarry Glen Ross in Andrews Lane Theatre in the studio upstairs the ADC Theatre and I went for it and I got it and I played the Al Pacino part uh, on stage and I, I can still remember that we only did it for a week in Andrews Lane Studio little ADC Theatre and I'll never forget that week we, you know I knew all the lads in the play we put it on ourselves it was our own money not that it cost a lot because we only had one set and my brother did the lights and we all, you know, I brought suits from my home, salesman suits. We all wore variations of them, you know. It wasn't a lavish production. But I remember the, the audiences were, they turned out for it because it's up there with American Buffalo in terms of it's one of Mammoth's most loved pieces. And uh, the week was incredible doing the play. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the atmosphere in that small room and that small theatre as the play reached its crescendo at the end when Shelley Levine's heart is broken in front of everybody. Um, and I'll never forget it. And since then, <clears throat> obviously when I got the part, I got the movie out and I watched it and I studied it and I watched it and I studied it. And then I went on about three years later to do the play again, played Roma again. Um, so it's, it's a huge part of my life, the show, because it replicated what I was doing for a living at the time. And it also replicated what I wanted to do for a living, which was act. So I was able to watch these guys. And also it gave me such incredible theatre training because Mamet writes in a very specific way. It's very staccato. He writes in, in the way we speak. Because com- when we talk to each other, we always interrupt each other with, but wait, no, hang on. And he wrote his dialogue like that. And you have to observe that. It's a, and it's a different style of dialogue that you have to learn how to play. So it's just such a momentous movie for me. And it features my favorite actor of all time, which is Jack Lemmon. Um, I adore the man in terms of his body of work. But I'll stop talking now and let you ask a question because that was about six minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> I was just, there was a massive plot twist there at the end. I was like, my favourite actor of all time is, and I was expecting Al Pacino in my no. head. And like, that, that's, that, that's a plot twist. So there's a lot to unpack there. Like just, just yeah. First of all, I'd imagine you're coming to this play having seen Al Pacino in your role. How does exactly. like how do you try and remove yourself from that and try and put your own print on it? Well, it's very hard not to do an Al Pacino impersonation when you're doing <laughs> yeah. that part. You know, you tend to do the voice that he does and he shouts, <laughs> and you know, it's very, yeah, and the hands, you know, out to earn a living and it's all this. And because, you know, it's an amazing character study. And I remember reading up about the movie and, and reading up about uh, Ed Harris, he was talking about it years later. And he said, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he said that when they were filming the movie, because it was only filmed over about four weeks, 35 days or something, 
And they all did it for less than they normally would. Pacino would normally get six million. He did it for one and a half. They all took reduced fees because it was only about an eight million budget or 18 million budget. Anyway, he said, even on the days that they weren't filming, when they weren't scheduled to be on set, Ed Harris said, they'd all go to the set and they'd just sit there and watch because it was like watching a Broadway play every day. I mean, Ed Harris would go and he'd sit on the set and watch Al Pacino and Jack Lemmon. Or Pacino and Spacey, or Alan Arkin and Jonathan Bryce. Like, I mean, that's that's the greatest acting school in the world. And they're being paid to sit there and do it. Um, so there's so much to unpack in terms of acting and styles. But when I was approaching the part of Ricky Roma, and I'd, I'm actually the right age to play him now. I mean, I was 20 years too young back when I did it. So, I mean, I'd love to have another go or even have a go at Shelley later on or, or Williamson, any of them. I, I play the cop in it. I don't care. Um, you know, trying to avoid doing a Pacino impersonation was key. Um, so you just have to, I just drew on my own uh, experiences of sitting in that fucking office, just phoning people over and over again with the same patter. So I would, you know, Richard Rome here from Consolidated Properties, you requested some information about some properties in Rio Rancho. That was just an adaptation of me selling advertising in the Construction Industry Federation magazine. You know, so I knew the world, I knew the vibe, I knew the relationships, and uh, what a play to explore. You know, really, it was incredible. Yeah, uh, like, I mean, so this is, like, the only comparison I could make when I was watching this is, like, the... USA basketball dream team at the 1992 Olympics when they got Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson together all in the same course. Like, oh my God. And you're right. Like what those moments must have been like when you weren't on camera just sitting around Mm. watching the next man up and the next man up delivering an all-time great career performance in each case. Absolutely. And also you think about the bravery of the director and the producers, because bear in mind, as, as every aficionado of Glengarry will tell you, well, actually, the Alec Baldwin character is not in the play. And that's very true. Um, you know, Baldwin originally wanted to play uh, the Ricky Roma part. Um, and he was kind of half promised it, but he was promised it on the pretense that Pacino would turn it down. Pacino was offered it and it was under consideration. So if he said no, Alec was next choice. But Baldwin wanted to be in this movie. And so they wrote this character in. They wrote this character in. And I just watched it this morning. Thank you for bringing me down this road again. I watched the eight and a half, eight minutes, 41 seconds of of, uh, Alec Baldwin's appearance on screen. And it's so quotable. Yeah, it's it's incredible. That's incredible, Sue. It's the most quoted character. And he's in it for eight and a half minutes. And that's it. And it's got, <laughs> and that's it. And it got to the point, actually, that you'll notice now, and we did it in the first production of Glengarry I did, we just did it as per script, which meant the Alec Baldwin character wasn't in there. But the second time we did it, we thought, do you know what? We put it in. So we, we lifted the scene from the movie and found a place to put it in. And it's amazing when that scene plays as a play because the audience just fucking sit up because they know all the lines. Fuck yeah. you, that's fun. <laughs> They know all the lines. You see, this watch costs more than your car. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I love that. I love when he comes in with the brass balls and you're like, Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, who in God's name is just carrying around brass but, balls? And, and the beauty of that, the beauty of that shot, Sue, is that when he takes the brass balls and he takes the several real estate brass balls, it cuts to Jack Lemon's face. He goes, oh, for fuck's sake. This <laughs> seasoned salesman like Shelley the Machine Levine has to sit here and listen to this shit. Uh, and the abuse that they take from this guy but it's so clever in the writing it just 
raises the bar and heightens the pressure for these guys all the time because his character doesn't come into the movie at the top it's it's about quarter of the way through and it's just you know there's some sort of a sales competition you know that these leads out there but you don't really know what's on the line that's what's so clever about the writing when Baldwin's character comes in and explains, we're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. First prize, Cadillac Eldorado. Second prize, you want to see second prize? Set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. And that makes you fucking sit up. A, as a salesman, and B, as an audience member, you're thinking, okay, well, now, now there's something. Now we know what's in play. If they don't finish top two on that board, they're gonzo. So that's just heightening the pressure all the time. And then he even takes out the leads. And it's like, it's like he's holding a chocolate eclair. He's are the Glen <laughs> Gary leads. If they give them to you, would be shit. <laughs> it's so, they're so close to him. And, and it's no coincidence, I think, as well, that the Glen Gary leads, which they all want, they're pink. Because yeah. this is such a fucking masculine movie. It's a pissing contest. It's... And yet these leads that they want, they're in a pink bundle and they're tied up a little gold ball and they just can't get them. It's magic. Just magic. Yeah, definitely. I just, I love the inclusion of Alec Baldwin because, um, like, I saw the play years and years and years ago. And it, it actually, when you go and watch the film and you think about the play, you're like, it kind of misses him. It does, And yeah. you, you definitely shouldn't make, like, I always think that the play is always, what's written for the the theatre is the perfection yeah. and whatever you get in the movie is not going to be as good but yeah. it really misses him it does like. it does but and bear in mind though that Mamet wrote that scene in the movie so it's coming from the same pen from the yeah, same yeah. mind from the, from the guy who created the world created the character so he knew what kind of character he needed to sit in there to raise to heighten the the, the you know, the, the danger that these guys are in, what's at stake, what's on the line, because that's what engages us as a movie audience. If you know there's something at stake, it creates that danger. And the beauty as well, of even watching that scene again this morning, the soundtrack, it's just rain. All you yeah. can hear is rain and the odd train going by. Oh, the train scared the life out of me. Jesus, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Because you're so involved in the conversation and this train comes the train, like... And the train is there beautifully at the right point where the speed is going up and bang, yeah, the train yeah. arrives. It's just incredible. So, I mean, there's each scene you can talk about, the scene in the Chinese restaurant, you know, Pacino's first line, wet out there tonight. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's what a line to come in on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, his, his speech, his speech when he's trying to reel in James Link in the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you, ever, you ever take a dump and you feel like you slept for 12 hours? It's what a line, you know, and it comes from nowhere, but uh, it's just milk. Every line of it is milk and there's no flab on the play. You know, every line is there for a reason. It delivers something, you know. And, yeah. uh, and as an actor, you have to punch them home. You know, it's, it's gorgeous. I, know. I just, like, the other thing about the Alec Baldwin thing that I was, sorry, on is that they, I always think that Alec Baldwin now is nearly seen as some sort of a joke. Yeah. And you go back and watch that and you're like, <clears throat> he's re- like, I love this. I love his appearance <clears throat> in The Departed. Yeah, and he's oh, just yeah. got those couple of scenes, and yeah. he's he just steals the show. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've just finished reading his his, his uh, autobiography, or should I say, he read it to me because I got it as an audio book because I'm a lazy hero, so I did listen to it on my walk <laughs> every day. But uh, he's it's an incredible story, and he talks about Glen Gary in his book. You know, and he talks about he talks again like Ed Harris does about those couple of weeks just going to work. Like Jesus Christ Almighty, for any actor to go and sit in that room. And again, going back to my guy, to Jack Lemmon, you know, 
I could talk about Jack Lemmon till the cows come home. One quick story, just to sum up Jack Lemmon for you, if I may. Um, do you remember the show years ago that used to be on Inside the Actor's Studio? Mm. Yeah. Great, great show. Sky Atlantic used to carry it all the Correct. time. Correct, yeah. James, what's his Lipton. Was it Lipton? Was the host? It was Lipton, yeah. And he, he, you know, he interviewed, you name an actor, they were on it over the years. The biggest names in the, in the business. Oh, the, the Spacey. I remember watching the Spacey one. Yeah. I mean, like... I mesmerized know, he's doing the impersonations and it's just unreal terrible. yeah but uh, Jack Lemmon was on it so of course Jesus I, I, I was glued to this one and if you remember each episode he used to finish the episode with a questionnaire it was the same 14 questions what's your favourite curse word you know blah 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 and the last question he would ask the guests was if you die and heaven exists and you go to heaven and you arrive at the gates of heaven what do you expect the first thing God is going to say to you? It's a great question because it's a different answer every week. And in Jack Lemon's episode, Jack spoke about his career and his family and his father, Jack's father was a huge influence on his career. You know, he was so supportive. He loved the fact that his son wanted to be an actor and a performer and watched him go through his career and shared everything with him, Oscars and he, his father, his father's father. And his father passed away about two years before he did inside the actor's studio. So when James got to that question, he asked, if you die and heaven exists and you go to heaven, what's the first thing God's going to say to you? And I'll never forget, Jack sort of sat back and he said, um, your dad's in room 306. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had just lost my father and it just, I thought it was the most perfect answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean the man has such a body of work from some like it hot to the apartment, save the tiger days of wine and roses. I mean, he's, he's run the gamut. I mean, this guy was cross dressing before Brendan O'Carroll was born. And something like that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what a, what a choice. The odd couple, which is the greatest comedy ever filmed in my opinion. Um, his relationship, his working relationship with Walter Matthew, they delivered hit after hit after hit. And then in his, in his, in the autumn of his career, he, he delivers, the performance of his life in Glengarry Glen Ross, because you literally see the man's heartbreak at the end of Glengarry Glen oh, Ross. Yeah. That scene where Spacey's about to go and touch the door to, to, to shop him. And Pacino says, uh, why? Why? He says, why? Because I don't fucking like you. <laughs> and Lemon says, but John, my daughter. And Spacey holds mm. the camera, looks at him and he says, fuck you and goes through the door mm. and that shot of Jack Lemmon you can literally see his heart break what a performance incredible yes, I, he's such an amazing actor as well because oh. I don't think people give credit for how hard it is to move between drama and comedy and 100%. do both of them flawlessly yeah. it's, it's like Some Like It Hot is one of my rewatchables I yeah. love it I watch it every Christmas I just think it's incredible I just it got engaged wow who's the lucky girl <laughs> I am I love it <laughs> So oh, good, gorgeous! But he's but he's brilliant. Like he's in that amazing. scene as well, where he's going like it's just all of that yeah. is just so good. And yet in this, you just watch a man whose life is falling apart. Like yeah, and you're like because you don't really understand why he's he's so determined. Because obviously you don't know a lot of the characters outside of mm. the, the office. Mm. But when you see him out in the rain in the phone box, oh, oh my gosh! And my he's ringing the hospital. Breaks. He's ringing the oh. hospital to check and see how the and the money. You know, I get the money there in the morning. It's just enough, just enough yeah. to let you know that the shit that this guy is dealing with drives him to do what he does. Yeah. Yeah, and it just breaks your heart at the end of the movie. It's incredible. I, I remember listening to Mark Commode interview Jack Lemmon years later, 
<clears throat> and, and Mark Kamal pointed at something out to Jack Lemmon that even Jack didn't realize. This is a news one. He said, do you notice that when you get to very emotive parts in your, in your movies, that you touch your stomach, you put your hand on your stomach? And Jack said, do I? Really? So I don't notice that. And Kermode played them back about four clips, one from Save the Tiger and one from Glengarry. And it's those moments of the heartbreak. And he puts his hand on his stomach. And Jack sat back and he went, I never realized I did that. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's a grounding thing because every actor has what's called a tell. You know what a tell is? Like you look, you look for it in a poker player. What's their tell? What's the physical thing that enables you to read what they're doing? Pacino grounds himself. You see, he does it so many times in Glengarry. He fixes the fucking belt and he puts the two feet on the floor. <laughs> what are you going to do about it, you fucking child? And he puts the feet <laughs> on the floor. Jack touches his stomach. So when you watch it back, have a look for that moment. and you. Know. I can picture it like, where, where, yeah. how do you say yeah. it? I can actually picture it. It's incredible. And if you go back through his previous work, he does it in Say the Tiger. He does it in some like it hot, Sue. And watch, watch for it. And you'll see it. You'll go, fuck, there it is. But I, I thought it was noticed. so alive. And he didn't even know. He didn't even know he did it. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So Mark Commode, who obviously watched his body work, and there's something about this when every time you reach a certain moment or yeah. a certain rawness, you ground yourself by touching your stomach. It's incredible. But he's such a, he was such a humble actor as well. Like, oh. he's the greatest actor in the world and still worried whether he was going to get parts. Like, still yeah, yeah. concerned about his career. And you're like, like how? Do, you're do, you, do you remember? I think it was for Glengarry, wasn't it? Ving Rames won the Golden Globe that year. And I think Fing Rames beat Jack Lemon, who was nominated for Glengarry. And I think if you, I, I could be right now, you'll have to Google this. But when Ving Rames goes up to accept the Golden Globe, he said, I don't deserve this. Jack Lemon should have won. And it cuts to Jack Lemon at the table. And he's exactly that. So he's like, oh no, listen, you. And he calls him up on the stage and gives him the fucking Golden Globe. And Lemon doesn't want to go. He's such a humble man. And Lemon's, yeah. Lemon, he gives Lemon the awards. Like that's that's the that's the you know the heights that this man was regarded at. You know, right through his career from the fifties. You know, delivering stuff like some like at hot uh, front page, the the apartment. You know, Jesus, and right through to Glengarry, and then he went on to do Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> The, the autumn of his career, like it's gone underappreciated. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not sure is this the same Oscars though, because Lemon doesn't even get or uh, Golden Globes, because Lemon doesn't get nominated in either the Golden Globes oh, or the Oscars. Oh, he was nominated for I think it was Twelve Angry Men. Oh, and I think you're right. Uh, and that, I think, yeah, that would make I think, sense. Yeah, I think he was nominated for a, a TV uh, movie version of Twelve Angry Men, and Ving Rhames was up against him. 1998. Yeah, there he, he was nominated there. Uh, in the Golden Globes for sure but like that, that whole era it's, it's really interesting so, so the autumn of his career yeah. as you put it it goes completely underappreciated because yeah. you look at the I'm just looking at the Oscars here I presume the Golden Globes were similar in 93 but the Best Actor nominees were uh, Al Pacino but for a different movie for Scent of a Woman Robert yeah. Downey Jr Clint Eastwood <clears throat> Stephen Ray and Denzel Washington and Jeez. Pacino picks it up uh, and they had to give it to Pacino at that stage like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true and then like it's, it's just an unbelievable uh, collection of people but uh, Al Pacino is the only person from Glengarry Glen Ross nominated but he gets nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category yeah. that I guess the sense is an injustice in your view um, I don't know lemon that is Oh, I think of Lemon. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just a shame that there wasn't an award <clears throat> in the Oscars for Ensemble. I know, I think there is mm. one in the Golden Globes for Best Ensemble Cast. Um, 
<clears throat> I don't know whether it's an injustice because Pacino's phenomenal and Glenn Carthy all are. <clears throat> you could have given the award to anybody, but I think <clears throat> Jack... I think Jack picked up a couple of smaller awards for Glengarry like at various festivals and that, but I don't know whether it's an injustice, but I would have loved Jack to see Jack to win it because at that stage, what that a performance. Career. What a yeah. performance. It's hard it's hard, like I find it very hard to call out the best performance in that though, which is amazing because you know when you watch a series or a TV show and you move between the characters like every few episodes you're like oh I've decided Alec yeah. Baldwin and Percy Rock is my favourite character or whatever yeah. uh, that's what I find about this one is you move between the characters yeah, so so quickly you do. and you're just like change that oh no no this guy's about. like I love the Ed Harris scene where he's trying amazing. to convince Alan Harrigan to, to amazing. Not <laughs> why are you telling me this why <laughs> because you, this, this, you gotta do it I gotta I gotta do it you gotta that's where you gotta go to me why are you doing this Dave why because I don't fucking like you <laughs> What a fucking asshole! Uh, Ed Harris's character, Dave Moss, is what a what a part, what a performance. His farewell scene. Oh right? yeah, has everyone to go fuck themselves. It's just <laughs> fuck you, Ricky, sitting on top of the world. Everything's fucking peach fuzz. I'm going home. Take care. No, I'm not going home. I'm going to Wisconsin. Have a nice trip. Fuck you, Ricky. And he just balls him on over. He's gone. I mean, talk about the, the rage that's within that's in that man. Yeah, it's a, and yeah. he's such a grease greaser in terms of. He's approached everybody and put the same speech to them. Yeah, and Alan Arkin's character as well when he oh says George, and he's just like, "I'm, I'm through with this fucking mission, guys." He's just like, "Excuse me." <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm doing business here. Uh, it's, it's just every, every character. To pull out, like it's just so. But that that's what I love about it is. You don't really know a lot about them. All you know oh, yeah. is what they're like in this office. Like, I'd love to have the Ricky Rowan story. I'd love mm. to find out yeah. how many oh, yeah. wives he's gone through. Mm. Absolutely. Of, and the, the beauty know. of it is, though, the beauty of it is, and this comes from a salesman's point of view, that Ricky Roma is sitting on top of the world. Everything's peach was. But I guarantee you the following month, Ricky's at the bottom of the pile and someone else is the shining star. And that's the beauty of this world. I mean, you're walking on a fucking tightrope. You know, you're only as good as your last month's sales figures. You know, if these yeah. guys don't sell, they're out of a job. They're not even going to get a bollock in or whatever. They're gone. You're out yeah. the door. And you try and get another job then. Well, what happened the last one? Well, I was fired. Why? Because I couldn't sell. Well, do you fucking want a job? No, good luck. So the amount of stuff that's on the line for them, it's such a precarious business to choose. Um, yeah. that salesman I did it myself for years a commission based salesman it's a hard way to make a living and one month you're Ricky Roma the next month you're Dave Moss yeah yeah it's, that's like, the beauty of it the, the Ed Harris farewell scene is <laughs> like unbelievable and like I, I think you talk you make a really good point when you talk about the pink leads and how this yeah. is a study of masculinity as much oh, as anything else yeah. the insecurity that just shines through from that moment between yeah. Pacino and Harris is incredible. That is the base characteristic at the heart of all these men. Is a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because they've no security in their life. Mm. They have no security in their life. They do not know if they're going to be in the same place of work in four weeks' time. Um, and that, when Dave Moss is trapped there at the end, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what to do. He's just come out of the room. He's been interviewed by the cops. He hasn't been charged, or has he? You know, he doesn't know. I'll go, I'll go out and say, oh, fuck, I'm not going for a sale. I'll go home. No, I'm not going home. Fuck it, I'll go to Wisconsin. He's completely, he's painting himself into a corner because he knows he's asked each and every one of them to do what he asked Alan Arkin to do. And he doesn't know which one's done it. Or does yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, because that in the same scene, only saying, because uh, Pacino's saying, your pal here just closed eight units, Mountain View. You did that? Yeah, I did, yeah. You, you did that tonight? Just now. So it's the morning he's closed the sale. So did you, he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He doesn't know whether I'm going to get shopped by one of these guys because someone has done the robbery. Mm. Again, for people who don't know the movie, the office is broken into on night one and the leads are taken. So who's taking them? It's just yeah. such a clever, clever script. But it's so, what, what I kind of love about it as well is, um, like, can you watch something like Wolf of Wall Street or one of those kind of, well, it's not really sales, but kind of finance kind of thing as well. It, it just makes it look sexy. And even though Leonardo DiCaprio gets to the end and he's lost everything, you're still like, yeah. probably would do it for the house. <laughs> yeah, he had a great old run of And the pool year, and all that, yeah. yeah. This you're just like, why would anyone want to do this job? 100%. Like, you know? 100%. It's grim. And it's, but here's the thing. It's reality, you know, and great drama and great comedy comes from real characters and real situations. And that, you know, I can attest to that because I've sat in that office. I've worked as a salesman. And they nailed it. And there's a great poster on the wall of the office, if you notice it. And oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a quote that I've used so many so often when I talk about actors. But it says, salesmen are born, not made. And, I, I, yeah. and you know what? I think that's true of actors as well. I mean, I think you can either act or you can't. I think, you know, you can certainly teach an actor their craft in terms of stagecraft or an acting for camera. And, you know, th- but I think it's got to be in here. You've you can you got to start from here. And I think salesmen is exactly the same. You've got, you know, there's got to be something there that makes you want to do this. Why would you put yourself in that position otherwise? Mm. Yeah. There's such similarities between that profession, and, um, which are my last two professions, acting and sales. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you draw on, uh, like, being, being a gifted actor when you were a salesman? Uh, gifted actor would probably be replaced by absolute bullshitter. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, I was selling people stuff that they didn't fucking want, you know. But that was the one thing that prepared me for it when I was acting. One of the many things was that, you know, this idea of rejection, you know, what's it like when you hear the word no? I was hearing words, I was hearing no 30 times a day, having doors shut in my face and phones hanging up. So it didn't bother me when I started going for auditions and was told no. I was like, fucking just go for the next one, you know, because eventually it's a volume business, you know. It's a volume business. The more people you ask, hence the reason why you sit down with a phone book and you start at A, and eventually by the time you get to Z, somebody would have bought one. Hmm. It's just having the perseverance, the neck, the, (laughs) the gall to do it to sit down and do your speech and uh, like it's just it's unbelievable you know when Shelley turns up to the house like, <laughs> oh Jesus that just makes oh, me the God. most uncomfortable I'm just like this guy just walks oh, into man. someone's house and sits in their chair Absolutely. picks up the kids teddy books I know <laughs> and he's got to go and pick the kids up we'll go together we'll take my car <laughs> I don't even fucking know your name man and he's walking to the house as if he's their father-in-law, you Just know. But that's the but balls. that's the the balls, but also that innate ability to create and adapt to whatever character you need to be to make that sale. Like if you look at uh, Lemon, then later on when James Link comes into the office and Ricky's in the shit. Oh, yeah. When I do this with my hair, <laughs> yeah, and, and straight away Lemon drops into a character as the president of fucking American Express. Like you know what I mean? Sitting in an office that's just being burgled. Like, but he, he does it so smoothly. And even in Pacino's character, 
says it at the very end. That shit you were slinging at my guy was fucking beautiful. Was beautiful. <laughs> like it's, he's learning, like, you know, Ricky Rome is learning from Shelley the Machine Levine. It's just, it's passed down. It's that chameleon thing of being able to just change, to adopt to whatever circumstance it is to make that sale, get them to sign on the line that is dotted. Always be closing. Always, A always, <laughs> B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. I just it. beautiful, yeah. I, I, just, I just cannot believe that people experience this on stage without that being part of it uh, before it actually came to the screen because that, yeah. that's, that's how I actually came to this movie in the first place. This is a very sort of uh, millennial thing to say, but it was uh, watching Alec Baldwin on YouTube and watching that scene on YouTube yeah. before I'd actually yeah, watched yeah. the full thing. Um, yeah. And, 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 and like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case for a lot of people. Oh, 100%. I mean, the play was written in the play premiered in 84 you know so it was if you think the movie was out in 92 uh, and i still think you know i'm not quite sure but I, I know that it was revived on broadway a couple of years ago and pacino actually played levine played shelley not mm. to great reviews but um and i know it was in london recently with uh, christian slater and our own aiden gillen who played uh, ricky roma and i'm not sure if if the alec baldwin character's ever gone back into the play Right. In terms, I think it's just like amateur companies and companies who who have the chance to do it might just put it back in, but I don't think it is ever done as part of a, a West End or Broadway production. But it's interesting to think: Can you imagine being that actor on Broadway five years ago who's playing Ricky Roma, and Al Pacino's on the stage opposite you playing Levine? <laughs> I mean, you'll need to bring bicycle clips every night yeah. there, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? How do you even start that process? You know, because you've got the man who played it standing there and you have all your stuff with them because Shelley and Ricky have all that big scene about the, you know, I pointed into the sideboard. I didn't even know there was a fucking sideboard in there. All that shit. You've got to play all your scenes. But Pacino, Jesus Christ almighty. I mean, well, I the part. Go on. He's so no, he's such. I I actually met Pacino. This is it. <laughs> oh, pick up that name there, Sue. Sorry about that. Sorry, I'll just tripped over that name there. <laughs> I was uh, I was working at the film festival, and he was in for a while, Salome. Yeah. And yeah. I was one of the PR people. <laughs> I randomly, I never let this down. I actually got an award at the end of the film festival for person most likely to be lost on the red carpet. <laughs> I was on the red carpet. And his producer came over to me because I was the only person with a tag on. And he said, I'm looking for tickets. Barnavidi is the guy. And he was like, I'm looking for, I need to get tickets. And I was like, okay. And he said, I put them aside. And I went over to get the tickets. And I came back and I went, here's the tickets. And he went, oh no, I don't want them. I just wanted to know they were there. And then I turned around to Papatino and stopped me. No shit. <laughs> I was like, Please tell me you said something to him. I'm like standing there like oh, Jesus, Sue. and he put he put his arm on my arm and went it's lovely to be in Dublin and I went yes <laughs> and you haven't watched that shoulder since I hope I hope Mick has taken DNA samples off your oh shoulder oh my god I mean I oh got in trouble god. and everything afterwards like people were like what are you doing like talking to Al and the right carpet I was like that wasn't what happened he was yet. talking to me excuse mm. me that's incredible but, uh, when he was on the way there, the people that were in the car with him were saying that he's like mm. very nervy, like very like, yeah, what's going to happen on this red carpet or what time is everyone going to yeah, be yeah. there? How many people are going to be there? He's very, has yeah, because to know you all see, his that's parameters. not your comfort zone, Sue. That's not your comfort zone. That's the yeah. bullshit that comes with the business. And that's not, but that's not what you're there for. You, you're there to do the work, you know, and you, look, every actor knows that you have to do the dance and you have to, you know, jump on the PR bandwagon when a movie or a TV show is coming out. That's fine. 
But I get that because that's just the fucking tedious bit. You know, the bit you love doing, the bit you hate doing is the acting, you know, is the work. Um, yeah. So I'm not surprised that he's, he's into, he's like, what time is this shit over at? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. No, I just, I, I just, when you were saying like, what it's like to act across from him, Jesus. I think I'd say he's, I'd say he's probably giving it in his head going on, oh, well, I definitely played that role better, but I wouldn't I think he's the kind of person to take something aside and go, shit <laughs> but, but, but even as the director and I, I direct you know director for 10 years as a director I'm wondering how I'd handle that you know directing a scene with Pacino and the other actor called Owen for example well done Owen you've just been cast opposite um, thank you very much Pacino there's no problem at all yeah, we'll have contracts over in the morning um, but I want no pressure yeah, yeah but as a director like you're playing the scene you're rehearsing between Pacino and Owen and the scene finishes like as a director Am I all right to say I'm happy with that? Or do you look all around and go, what do you think? Is that all right? Was, was, he, was that okay as, as Ricky? What do you think? Because I'm sure being an actor, he, it's such a collaboration, it's a collaborative process that you just muck in, you give suggestions and you give notes. But to be that actor who's standing there opposite Pacino, oh, Jesus, I, I don't know how they got through it. I don't know who it was. I can almost find out his name, but send him flowers because he's probably still recovering. You know what I mean? <laughs> the nerves. So, yeah. Where, where are we putting Pacino on the leaderboard here then of this movie? Because I was going to ask you for your man of the match or your oh, MVP. Jesus. Well, I mean, Jack for me is, is the MVP sure. in the movie. Um, <clears throat> where are you putting Pacino? Okay. Well, we've got, let's see, we've got Alan Arkin, Ed Harris, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Spacey, Jonathan Price, and Pacino. I mean, I, I, I would love to put anybody at the bottom of the list. Mm. Uh, Jonathan Price delivers a great performance as James yeah. Link. That scene where he's leaving, you can't fucking leave. I, I don't know what to say. I'm, it's my fault, forgive me. It's, it's brilliant. Alan Arkin is gorgeous, breaks your heart. You know, why have I got to do this? Why? Because you fucking listen. I just, I'm through with this fucking Michigan. Love that. <laughs> Ed Harris, fuck you, Ricky. Sit on top of the world. Everyone's fucking beach. I could do them all. Um, I'm going to put, I suppose you gotta, you got to go Lemon, Pacino, Spacey for me mm. I think Spacey's yeah. brilliant in it uh, you know in a kind I just of t- the Spacey stuff sit with you in terms of like going back and rewatching it because Seven is one of my ones that I'm like obsessed mm. with and I go back to a lot mm. but ne- like is he changed for you at all or are you just no, kind of getting no, 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 sight I, I, yeah I can separate that I mean I went back and watched House of Cars recently and was quite happy to watch it because again yeah He's he's very very good at what he does, you know. Um, no, it doesn't change for me at all. I mean, I because I, as you said, I can separate that. Um, mm. So I, I think his performance in Glengarry is very underrated. You know, it's 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 kind of a tankless role. It's exactly it's he doesn't have much man. to do. Yeah. yeah, but he's at the middle of it all, and the abuse he takes from them all. Every one of them gives them such a level of shit at one point through the movie. He just stands there and takes because he gets the last laugh at the end. Why are you doing this? You broke my office, Shelley. You broke my office. That's all he's there. He cares about is the office and it functioning correctly. And they fucked it for him. Um, so I would go uh, Lemon, <sighs> Lemon Pacino and then Spacey or Baldwin. Hmm. Fucking Ed Harris, though. I look. It's, it's unbelievable. You'd have to make eight trophies. You can't just give it to one of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. you, you, you I have... just think the Pacino, that whole like the speech, and it. <laughs> Which one? The, the, well, there was the one where he's coming in and out of the office constantly. He's like trying to make sure he gets his last say in. I know, yeah. But it like the worst thing that happened to me was I said to Mick that we were doing this, 
and my husband for people in this podcast are like and he's literally been following me around doing the potato speech for the last two days. <laughs> <laughs> you owe me one Cadillac. I'm like, I got it. I got it. Fuck off. You just cost me $6,000 in one Cadillac. What are you going to do about it, you fucking child? I love it. Just the visions of Mick walking around with the baby yeah. over his shoulders whilst doing the uh, <laughs> the Pacino speech. He does, like, he who told you you could work with men? Men who are going out there to try and earn a living. I love it. He just came in, like he came in last night with my headphones on and he was just standing there and I kind of took my headphones off going, are you okay? And he went, oh, you are a fucking asshole. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe you made me take my fucking oh, You are an asshole, Williamson. Like the abuse that he gives Spacey's character is just frightening, isn't it? Uh, incredible. But he's, I mean, it's because he can. You know, I love that yeah. bit where they're like, is, is that the reason why Roman's near? And you're like, yeah, because he's obviously, he's 90 grand from the board. And well, he's that's the thing. It's a movie all about power. You know, mm. who, who's holding the power at the moment? And at the moment, it's Ricky. You know, and Ed Harris's character says that. Where's Ricky? Why is he not working here? Because he's top man on the board. Yeah. It's about power. Well, this is going to be a controversial question considering you've Ooh. been a salesman before. Ooh. Is it not also an indictment of men who like to blame their tools. You know, the old adage about a poor workman always blames oh, his tools. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Alec Baldwin says that, you know, because I know the conversation you're having. You're sitting in a bar. Yeah, I used to be a salesman. It's a tough racket, <laughs> you know. Mm. And I know salesmen like that. I was that salesman. Yeah, it's a very tough game, you know. Yeah, it's very difficult. But, you know, you've got to be very, very good to be very, very successful at it. But they are, they are, what I love about the character is they're all flawed. They've mm-hmm. all got faults. They've all got problems. They're all liars. Every single one of them is a liar, um, including Williamson, who do, throws that curveball at the end. You know, oh, your contract's gone down to the bank. Fucking bullshit. It's not. But he thinks he's doing the right thing. Um, so they're all liars. They're all flawed. They're all, um, they're all desperate. Uh, and they're all willing to do anything. And that is the world that they live in. That's real mm-hmm. estate sales. Back and, in 1992. Because yeah. I'm sure it's very different now. Well, it's probably like the, the one... There's more women involved. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and no, nobody has that shoulder holder that Lemon has, the, like, oh which I just think, gosh. I didn't know that existed. I, like, I mean, yeah. did you have one of those, Simon? Uh, I didn't have a, a phone holster, no. Phone holster. No, no, I didn't. No, I wasn't. I was never that successful enough to fucking buy one on. Anyway. Right. Plus, we didn't have mobiles. We had pagers back in the day on. Right, okay. Must, yeah, must, yeah. must Google them. Yeah, Google that. They were great. But that side clipped onto the L belt. And if somebody wants you urgently, they put their number and then 999 after it. Right. I remember okay. the first job I landed, the first big job I landed as an actor. Yeah, I was living in Rohini, and in my family home. My parents were both gone. It was just me and my sisters, my brother. We had the arsenal trousers. We had a payphone in the house on. A payphone in the house. We had a payphone in the house. Yes, with the fucking slots. The amount of screwdrivers I broke trying to get into it. But anyway, <laughs> um, and I had just been signed by my agent, who's still my agent to this day, uh, 22 years later. And I had no phone. You know, the payphone worked. And so, so she gave me a pager. And I remember I'd auditioned for a gig for a movie for an American TV adaptation of David Copperfield. Dickens, Dickens, yeah, not the not the magician. But um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I I I get a beep on me on my hip, and it's, it's my agent's number, and it has nine 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 beside it. I'm like, oh, Christ, Christ! So I had to go into my neighbours and borrow ten p to go to the <laughs> fucking phone box in Edenmore Village. This is true, and this sounds like Angela's ashes. This is 1997. Like, you know what I mean? So I go to the phone. I go to the phone box, 
I ring her back. Said, I said, yeah, you look for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that thing you went audition for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the dickens said, yeah, yeah, you got it. I said, oh, Jesus, great. I said, that's brilliant. And she said, yeah, it's a great role. And it was a character called Tommy Traddles, who was Copperfield's best friend. And I thought it had a bit of day on it, you know. And I remember she, I, she said, well, it's a thousand pounds for the day. I said, Jesus, I hadn't got tempers for the phone call. <laughs> and I had thought, a thousand pounds for a day. She said, yeah, and you've got 18 days on it. I said, well. She said, you know, you've, you've contracted you for 18. I said, and it's a thousand pounds per day. She said, yeah. <laughs> I'm standing in a phone box and eating more with nothing, literally yeah. with nothing. And then three weeks later, a black limo pulls up beside the house to bring me to set. <laughs> it was like, people in the road thought there was a funeral. They're all like, oh, Jesus, someone's dead. Like, oh, no, it's here. where's he walking? No, no, no. And off I went. But that was the page you're on. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Must get myself one of them. Jesus, yeah. they're, 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 they're the business deals. They all there. happen there. there um, there's, there's a couple of questions to, to finish up on. But before we yeah. do that, Sue Murphy is a massive fan of Al Pacino when he's on a rant. And we have seen many great Al Pacino rants down through the years. Sue Murphy, where are you taking us? I, I just, I was thinking about the rants and where, so the, the main rants I think is probably this one where he goes through Williamson for a shortcut. And the other, the other two, now the, there are more, but the other two that I really think of is the Any Given Sunday yeah. rant. And my favourite of all time, and I will literally fast forward to this point in the film and not even bother watching the rest of it, is The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> when he's doing the, look, but don't touch, touch. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it is Pacino having the time of his entire life, yeah. like doing this rant. And I just think he's one of those actors that I think sometimes you can take him or leave him. Like, it can be mm. difficult to watch sometimes. You're like, he's too into this role now and he's really playing it up. I mm. can't, I can't deal with it. And then you go back, we watched The Godfather again recently. And that scene, we were talking about that scene where um, his wife comes to, to, to the kids and he's banned yeah. her from seeing the kids and he doesn't yeah. say a word yeah. for the entire scene, shoves her out the door and it closes, closes the, the door. door. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. his range is unbelievable. But I just think like that whole rant in Devil's Advocate is just one of the reasons I go back to him so much. Just yeah. love it. I completely agree. But, you know, again, he's so layered, you know, his performance in The Godfather. So understated. Yeah. You know, and then you think of the pressure he was under when he was filming that because he knew he was in trouble <clears throat> six, seven, eight weeks into filming. They were going to sack him. Yeah. You know, um, and you're um, working with De Niro. Who's and you're working with De Niro. A hundred percent. Um well, you know, it's only that it's the scene in, um, you know, the, in the, where he shoots the cop in the neck. That's what they watched the rushes that the following day. And that confirmed. They said, no, OK, leave him. And he must have felt that. What pressure? You know, what pressure? But his ranting, he rants like nobody else rants. <laughs> and that speech in, in, in Gary is just gorgeous, where he tears Williamson a new one at the end. Brilliant. Yeah, I love, I love when he says the word asshole and he just doesn't asshole. put the emphasis on it. It's yeah. just like, asshole. <laughs> just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's the softest swear word he can do to him. Oh, you are an asshole, William. Brilliant. Like, I, I, like, can you actually try and uh, explain that to uh, to us, Simon? Just the the art behind that of like, you know, well, like to us. Sorry, it seems that somebody's just ratcheted up to a hundred and yeah. bang, bang, bang away you go. But the subtleties involved. Yeah, you've in got to form up to a hundred. Yeah, you've got to pick your moments. You know, mm. that that's where you know working with an ensemble comes into play, and working with a very good director, because you know you know that your starting point, the, the material, the script is gold. 
but in the wrong hands, it'll be shit. So yeah. it's got to be in the right hands. So you've got to trust the director and you're going to trust the other actors you're working at. And I can tell you now that they would have rehearsed that scene, oh, I don't know, 14, 15 times on the day, as well as having rehearsed the pre-production. You know, and I'm sure that, as I said at the start, when Ed Harris said they all sat around and watched, I'm sure the Pacino's the kind of actor who went, you know, did a take and then went, hey, fellas, what do you think? You know what I mean? And there would have been a conversation. It would have been very much like rehearsing a play because that's what happens when you rehearse a play. You all sit in the room for three weeks and you talk about everybody's performance, not just your own. You talk about the play, the material, because it's all about the end goal. Um, And I think for that scene, for that rant, he's got to pick his moments that he hits. They've got to be like fucking daggers, certain lines, because he keeps going, Sue, and he keeps going to the opposite, coming back. And the last line, you know, the last line when he turns around and he says, you want to learn the first rule? You'd know if you ever spent a day in your life. You never open your mouth until you know what the shot is. And the key with that is, that's, that sums up for me the life of their life. Because it's all bullshit. So don't jump in on anybody's conversation unless you are well trained enough as a salesman to jump in here on the, on this moving train, which is what Jack Lemon does when he says to him, when I touch my hair, you're the president of American Express. Lemon jumps in. And Williamson's character, he's a, he says it to him, you're a fucking secretary, John. He's a secretary. So rehearsing that, that speech would have been a, a, a real process, and he would have had to pick his moments, which he fucking did beautifully. And, and, like his, his sorry, I was just going to say his physical <clears throat> movement as well. Like, it's like... Yeah. What I love about the going back over and back to the offices, it's like he can't keep that emotion in his yeah. body. He has to and get you think it he, And you think he's finished. Out, but... he's not, he hasn't <laughs> fucking started. And you'll notice as well, he's also chewing gum. Yeah. Mm. Right through that scene, delivering that vitriolic, you know, guns at this guy. He's chewing gum. You fucking child! You stupid fucking child! It's gorgeous. <laughs> and if you're if you're if you're so say you're sitting down to play. Ricky Roma tomorrow morning. Mm. Are you parsing the script and saying dagger, 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 and picking your? Mo- Are you literally going through the, the script with a highlighter? How, how would you operate? Yeah, I mean, you, well, look, you, you do. I, I, for me, I do that in the rehearsal room with the director. You know, right. read, you'd read the scene, um, and then we'd talk about what moments that the director wants might want to hit. You might want to talk about what moments you want to hit. You come to an agreement, and then you just keep playing it on the floor until you reach a happy medium. Uh, and you're working with the other actors as well, because <clears throat> every scene's not about you. Mm-hmm. You know, the last time I was on stage, I played this, uh, it was the snapper. So I'm playing Jimmy Rabbit, which is one of the most. I went to see it. It was great. God bless you, Sue. Uh, did you record <laughs> that bit on? <laughs> we, went, we went for my birthday. It was brilliant. Ah, oh, Jesus! Whatever. Well, I don't know what a song "Happy Birthday" do <clears throat> in the middle of Barrytown, but. Um, <laughs> So I was under pressure with that because it's Jimmy Rabbit. It's the most quoted fucking Irish father ever committed to film, you know, in history. Uh, and Colin Meany played it and I was originating the stage role. And so I, uh, there was pressure on that, but I made sure that I didn't do a Colin Meany impersonation. Um, but we had five weeks rehearsals, great director, Roisin McBrain, great cast. And uh, you just plot through it every day. You know, you could spend a, a two days on one scene. Uh you know, and, and often the scene isn't about you, so you need to be there for the other actor. And it's 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 such a gorgeous collaborative process. It can be torturous, mm. it can be painful, it can be slow, boring, but you get there in the end. So if I was approaching Ricky Rome again, I'd read the script, I'd make my own notes, take that to the rehearsal room, and then you spend the first two days just talking about the piece, talk about the play, and what we want to do with it. 
God, I feel excited now. I feel like I'm going into rehearsals tomorrow. On, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, Jesus. Like, I, I really want to see this on stage uh, ASAP as well. Like, uh, I mean, this, now this is this is a really putting, putting you on the spot sort of situation. So uh, put yourself into the, the director's position here. If you <clears> could cre- create a modern dream team for uh, a modern iteration of Glengarry Glen Ross. <clears> so a modern cast. Modern cast. Jesus Christ, you're an awful man. Oh, and I've always said it. I know. Um, Same. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I don't know where you'd start, really. That's tough. I'd put Michael Shannon into one of those roles. Oh, it's a good shout. shout. It's a very good shout. I'd put him in as uh, either Williamson or Alan Arkin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's Um, fantastic and he's mad. (laughs) He is. Um, (laughs) Jesus. I mean, where would you start with Ricky Roma? Who's playing Ricky Roma? Who's playing Shetty Levine? Leonardo DiCaprio. No, for <laughs> fuck's sake. No, 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 no. He's a gorgeous actor and I love the man and he's the basketball, so he's early, he's early stuff, brilliant. But no, he's not Ricky Roma. I don't think he, well, he, listen, he could play it, but he's, listen, Sue, he's on said I'm directing, so he's not playing, he's not in it, right? <laughs> I think it, we, can, we can recast Jonathan Price immediately because uh, he doesn't yeah. seem to have aged at all in uh, 30 years. And he played Shelley Devine late, lately in, uh, in London. Um, so, oh, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Christ, McConaughey, Dave Moss. He's got to be sitting on top of the world. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah, McConaughey's in there. Okay, <laughs> McConaughey's in there. Who else is in there? Uh, Michael Shannon. Okay. Um, Jesus. Still haven't found our Roma. Hey, do you know who? Do you know who I put in as Roma? Here's where. Here's one for you. Killian Murphy. Yes. Take. I that. can That's see it. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of him, but yeah, oh, he was. Yeah, yeah he'd he be great. Powerful, powerful actor, and I think, yeah, that's that's a, that's a shout there. So Rome it's cast, isn't it? It's not bad. So it's cast was a fortune, by the way. It is. <laughs> um, the director wants a free though. At this rate, you're going to have the likes of me playing the rest. Of the, <laughs> no money left. Uh, <laughs> Shelley Levine, I've no idea. Jesus, that's a great show, Shelley Levine. Not a clue. Not a clue. Oh, we could we could listen. We could talk about this for hours. Yeah, we can. You know? We can. We can. We can have a think. We've got a, We've got a good skeleton of a cast there. Killian we Murphy, do, yeah. McConaughey, and and Shannon there. Jesus, um, yeah. Just a couple of other questions. One. So you've come at this from the the standpoint of a salesman who watched this movie <clears throat> thirty years later, almost thirty years later. How has the movie changed with you? It hasn't. It hasn't. I okay. rewatched bits of it this morning, even, and uh, I'm straight back in there, yeah. noticing the things, noticing the sounds, the train, the train tracks, the the, the rain. Uh, it hasn't changed me. I think it's changed in terms of we maybe have a different view where it's just it's a totally misogynistic movie. They're all arseholes, you know. Mm. They're all like those, those white men. Yeah, that, <laughs> but that word doesn't exist anymore. No sales office is like that anymore, you know, because the word has changed in terms of online sales and all that shit. Um, but I think the level of bullshit is still there in terms of sales. And I think those people are still there. They're just not all working in the same fucking office <laughs> together. Um, so I think, and I think it still stands up as a movie. It still stands up as an absolute great of a movie. It's a, just a, it's a gem of a movie. And anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen it, get on it. Get yeah, it definitely. sorted. And it is, it, the more you watch it, the better it gets as well. The subtleties 100%. that you pick up on are, are incredible. And, 100%. and that is the final question. The on the television test, if you happen to stumble upon Glengarry Glen Ross 40 minutes in, are you sticking with it? Oh, 100%. Right to the end. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I go and find plus one and start again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like me in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Absolutely passes the TV test 100%. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Simon, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. But most importantly, 
thank you for allowing us to rewatch Glengarry Glen Ross. It is uh, an absolute cracker. Uh, what's going on in your own life? How are things coming? Anything coming up? Things are good. I'm I'm uh, away a bit firm, and I'm shooting a spaghetti western at the minute over in um, Spain. So I've been over and back, and I've been COVID tested more times than Leitrim, I think. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, so it's busy and all. You know, weekend Ireland, Ireland AM still trucking along, which is fantastic. I've got my first novel will hopefully be out by the end of the year. I wrote my first novel last year. Oh, brilliant! Um, so yeah, it's been it's been busy, and uh, yeah, so it's all good. It's all good. Any, uh, so you, you found yourself novel? during COVID? <laughs> well, I started writing the book on day three of COVID and I finished it six weeks later. So now I'm on number six. Yes. So uh, I don't like sitting still as well, you know. Yeah. So that, that's out later this year. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully we're going to get it out this year. It'll hit the shelves probably around Christmas time. Hopefully. Brilliant. Well, congratulations on making a success out of COVID because uh, not a lot of people have had that. So fair, fair play, Simon, and uh, keep up the great work on the weekends as well. Uh, this has been, let's go back to Glengarry Glen Ross. It has been an absolutely cracking episode with thanks to Simon Delaney. It has been me, Owen Sheehan, and Sue Murphy. We'll be back with you again next week. Chat to you then. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app.